All right. Now, in stark contrast to the fact that people are leaking the names of covert CIA operatives and no one and the FBI is looking into it. And, and I and I wish the FBI luck in this. I, I think that it would be good to know what happened in this scandal. But I do have to criticize the men, the G-men, for the following article. And I want to thank, um, who would you like to thank? France. France Senegal. Yes. Yes. Monday's host. Monday Another morning. Wonderful public affairs host. Yes. KDBS. But, uh. France sent this to us and, uh, and, and, and I'm happy to use it. So thank you, France. The FBI issues an alert against almanac carriers. Dateline, Washington. This is from the Associated Press. The FBI is warning police nationwide to be alert for people carrying almanacs, cautioning that the popular reference books covering everything from abbreviations to weather trends could be used for terrorist planning. I'm just I'm just reading the copy here from the AP. In a bulletin sent Christmas Eve to about 18,000 police organizations, the FBI said terrorists may use almanacs, quote, to assist with target selection and pre-operational planning. It urged officers to watch during searches, traffic stops, and other investigations for anyone carrying almanacs, especially if the books are annotated in suspicious ways. You mean multicolored post-it notes? Or perhaps a yellow liner, which you might use in uh, preparation for your public affairs <laughs> radio program. Well, I can just see this. I get stopped for the tra- I get I get pulled over <laughs> for what from, from for having my light out. I have a tail light out. The cop pulls me and notices that I've got the old farmer's almanac in the back seat, and all of a sudden. You're you're against your car door. This, this actually, the, the old farmers almanac people actually commented on this, I, or actually the world the world almanac. I don't think anyone would consider us a harmful entity," said Kevin Seabrook, senior editor of the World Almanac. <laughs> he said the reference book includes about a dozen pages out of its thousand pages listing the world's tallest buildings and bridges, but includes no diagrams or architectural schematics. It's stuff that's widely available on the internet. Oy vey. Can you can you see this? You know, it, Akbar. <laughs> have you noticed in the latest edition of the Farmer's Almanac, they have the gestational period for the rabbit? Ah, <laughs> we need to put that in the al- <laughs> We must put that into the Al Qaeda terrorist manual. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with the FBI? Well, you know, you have to start looking out now for people, you know, who are members of AAA because you can get free maps, and terrorists could use those maps. You know, we used to people used to make fun of the Soviet Union because they were paranoid about this sort of thing. You literally could not get an accurate map of mm-hmm. Moscow or any place in the Soviet Union because they would uh, deliberately alter the map so that people would get lost. Now, <laughs> what happened was like Soviet military guys on maneuvers would get lost because there were no reliable maps. And interestingly, we are now starting to alter maps of Washington, D.C., like the Soviets used to do so that supposedly terrorists can't use th- this information. Lee. I mean, there was a point in the... we used Like I said, we used to make fun of the Russians when they would, like, omit from their almanac the diameter of the earth. <laughs> there was a guy that published it, and they, they said, take it out. He's like, it's it's available wherever he goes, take it out. Because you, you, could, you could use it potentially for navigational purposes. So they, they would not list in Soviet encyclopedias the diameter of the earth. This is, this, this is about equally boneheaded, in my opinion. We seem and, to have a phone call. You know, the, 
That's the kind of thing that would prompt a call, wouldn't it? Let's let's see what the public's got to say on this. Line four, you're on the air. Oh, we seem to have lost line four. Well, that's a pity. Uh, All right, let's let's move on. Another story that I'm dubious on, and I, I'm going to come back to this because I, I just I can't believe this. Um, this re- this reminds me of the bad old days. Some things the government used to do, and people are concerned about them doing now. Infiltrating groups. Um, I think. I think that intelligence resources could be better and more effectively used than for things like finding guys with annotated almanacs. <laughs> um, I wonder. A, yeah. Okay. Uh, Afghanistan is back in the opium business. Apparently, poppy cultivation in Afghanistan has soared back to pre-Taliban levels, the U.S. the U.N. Office of Drug and Crime said in October. The crops have been making a steady comeback under the new, still weak Democratic government. This year, Afghanistan's expected to produce nearly 4,000 tons of opium, worth more than $2 billion. Opium now accounts for half of Afghanistan's gross domestic product. The total amount of the drug exported last year, about $1.2 billion, equals all international aid delivered to the country in 2002. 75% of the world's opium now comes from Afghanistan. Now, um, you know, how many, how, how much opium is grown in the three blocks that Hamid Karzai controls in downtown Kabul? I would venture to say none. <laughs> I would venture to say that it's all out in the country where the Taliban still and other people, warlords, are running the country. But, but the point is, this is a country we went and invaded to set up, and we supposedly have a reasonably good control, and U.S. reasonably good control means that it's supplying 75% of the world's opiates. Now... I don't know if you saw this article, 1220. Sacramento Bee, Cox News Service. U.S. Navy says sees hashish linked to Al-Qaeda network. So, go on. The U.S. Navy announced that it had captured nearly two tons of hashish being shipped through the the Persian Gulf with clear ties to Osama bin Laden's Al-Qaeda terrorist network. Now, the clear ties apparently consisted of the fact that they were intercepted in an area that's known to include smugglers for Al-Qaeda. And probably other smugglers and as well. And probably every other smuggler, that, which is probably their main source of income in the area. I, I, you know, Well, I, I think probably what a lot of that is, and it may be true, it may very well be true that, that uh, Al-Qaeda is involved in drug smuggling, but it's also very possible that people may be trying to connect the war on terrorism and the war on drugs, um, as they've been trying to do with Colombia for the past two years, and they're just trying to find something so that they can increase their drug laws and increase... Um, and, and, and continue to to garner support for the war on drugs. That's my theory. Well, the war on drugs is a certainly a worthy topic for a couple of shows in their own right. But I'm extremely skeptical that a couple of tons of hashish makes a dent in any kind of major funding of anybody. I mean, certainly it's true if this was Al-Qaeda and if this was sold on the market and it was worth a fair amount of money, I suppose mischief could come of it. But here's Afghanistan under our control shipping out most of the, the narcotics of the world and we, we're, we're twiddling our thumbs as this is going on. Um, it's obviously a complex issue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that, that's a good cop out, Doug. It's very complex. I don't want to. Yeah, I just I don't want to probably go there because you know we could talk about the the, the classic book 1972's The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia, where it was pointed out that um, various intelligence agencies related to the West had something to do with the drug trade out of Southeast Asia, and at the time it was whispered about and talked about, but um, 
you know, they made a movie, Air America, with Mel Gibson a few years ago, just totally making fun of this whole thing. That they were mm. basically, you know, they were flying drugs around and financing all kinds of operations, a lot of cowboys. And again, it isn't that simple. I mean, it's certainly not a matter of, of pointing the finger at, at uh, the nasty terrorists of Al-Qaeda for this sort of thing. And we certainly could not cover it in the last six minutes that we have on the program this afternoon. That's right. we got about six minutes left, so let's, let's, let's wrap this up here. Um, the New York Times, Monday, page one, Bush campaign finds a platform on dot, 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 local radio. Juh. It says that there's a new strategy to mobilize the grassroots and avoid t the TV talk show fray. Article by Jim Rutland, Daytona Beach, Florida, Dateline. President Bush's campaign officials mostly avoid television programs like Hardball with Chris Matthews, Inside Politics, or Face the Nation. There will be a time for politics, they say. But Terry Holt, Bush's campaign press, press secretary, says that they're going to concentrate on AM radio. They feel they'll get a friendly reception, and um, that's where they're going to go. So, a lot of those programs, though, a lot of those those people who who run those programs are crossover hits. You know, like Sean Hannity, um, who hosts the program on Fox called Hannity and Combs. I prefer to call it Beat Up on Combs. <laughs> there was, there was an I article mean, on the Onion. <laughs> it's, it's a famous because it, Hannity is obviously being set up to look good. Yeah, and Combs is being set up as the punching bag. Yeah, and his, his eyebrows aren't even groomed properly. <laughs> like he's designed to just look like some ugly little you know liberal twerp, runt. Right. Yeah, a twerp, a tree hugging twerp. There was an article in the Onion. Alan Combs loses his argument with eight year old nephew. Combs' <laughs> <laughs> eight year old nephew won the argument over. It's time to go to bed now. <laughs> Alan Combs. But anyways, what I was to make the point that I, I was trying to make about the AM radio is that a lot, you know, it's all interconnected, and um, it, it doesn't surprise me though that they would be be searching for an AM radio market because most of the people who listen to AM radio are Republicans. Well, yes, and if they are. You're trying to solidify your base. That's where you want to go. You know. Which I want to thank you for the perfect segue to the next piece, which is liberal radio group buying five stations. Now you need to say it like Rush Limbaugh. Liberal. 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 No, okay, there you go. And the Democrat Party. <laughs> liberal radio group buying five stations. <laughs> I can't do a Rush Limbaugh. Okay. A spokesman for the initiative dubbed Central Air said Monday the company's near a deal to buy radio stations in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Boston. They want to buy stations in other markets as well. This is an interesting story. This is the one we talked about before with Al Franken and uh, various people that uh, I think they're, they're inspired by The Daily Show. They've hired some people from that. They want it to be humorous, and they want it to be cent not necessarily liberal, mm. but centrist liberal, to provide something that's, uh, you know, as opposed to the clear channel sort of right-wing stuff the radio airwaves are filled mm. with. Now, a little more of a balance. Is this uh, from Al Gore's camp, too, or is that... Al Gore, there was talk of Al Gore being involved, but I, I think if they want to add humor and charisma <laughs> to the radio <laughs> network, they might want to just leave Al in retirement. Late nights with Al. A, I could... Yeah, yeah. Go I, on. I, that may not be such a good idea. But anyway, uh, that's a story we're going to follow in the future, too. We're running short on time, so let's. I want to do science segments, and I've pretty much blown the whole show talking politics. But oh, we've had some fun. Um, I want to tell you that this weekend, January 3rd, at the Pasadena Convention Center, the Planetary Society, which we had Dr. Bruce Betts on earlier, will host a unique public celebration. It's the Wild About Mars Weekend. It's going to celebrate a couple of things. Um, hopefully, a landing on the planet Mars by one of these NASA 
uh, Rovers, which will hopefully put down on Sunday. I'm going down to Pasadena. I will have a report for you on next week's program about this, and hopefully it'll be good news because mm-hmm. it appears that the Beagle, the Beagle 2, the European Space Agency's probe, I hate to tell you, I think it crashed. They haven't heard anything, have they? They haven't heard. They're hoping it's going to phone home, but I'm not. I'm not terribly optimistic about this. Well, now, on the track record for those things, hasn't it been three so far? Two that out of three keep crashing, and uh, it's very. You know, that's been the record of Mars probes to date. They just. Uh, they just can't seem to to put the things down, and it, it's possible that once this the orbiter is is in position, it'll be able to beam to it. It's possible. I can't rule it out completely, but mm. I. It's, I fear for the worst. It's over with. And um, anyway, we'll give a report on that. And interestingly, news item out of the B, which is in conjunction with this event, part of it's going to be called the in the Wild About Mars weekend. They're going to examine the Stardust spacecraft's fly-through of Comet Wild 2. The space probe is going to go whipping by a comet. It's going to pick up with this aerogel minuscule specks of primitive material from the comet, and it's going to bring it back to Earth. It's going to take a couple of years, I think, to get it back, but it's the first, uh, you know, actual specimen sampling we've gotten of a comet. This is going to be some interesting science, and again, that's going to be in conjunction with what's going on this weekend. I hope that uh, that will go well. Um, also, while we're down there, we're going to hopefully talk to some future guests. Uh, Bob Tannenbaum, the uh, mayor of Beverly Hills, author of many books you've seen in Safeway and other places. Uh, we're going to meet with uh, Mr. Tannenbaum, who I met a few uh, last month in, in in Pennsylvania in November, and. Um, He'll make an interesting guess. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Also, probably Lewis Friedman of the Planetary Society. We'll, uh, we will try and get him back on. And Michael Shermer was at the last one of these conferences, the Scientific American columnist of the Skeptic Magazine editor. Um, 